As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest foray into the listener questions mailbag. Today, we're assigning new coaches for the US, Mexico and Canada. We're shopping for strikers for Man United. And we're talking about America's team, Wrexham AFC. Once again, of course. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who would never take an unauthorised trip to Saudi Arabia and risk suspension from Total Soccer Show, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. For any number of reasons, that is correct. But yes, especially I would never just leave you all in the lurch. You have to figure out running orders and show orders and interviews without me. Oh, wait, I did that sort of yesterday and Joe handled it just fine. But no, I would not do that to flee to Saudi Arabia. Just I yesterday? I that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, but Taylor, be warned, if you do take a trip to Saudi Arabia, um, you'll have a two-week vacation to pay for it. Uh, so be warned. We'll, we'll make you take two weeks to do whatever you like. What a punishment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's that's tough but fair. Tough but fair. <laughs> Very good, Taylor. Joining us, a man who's won the same amount of Chelsea games as Frank Lampard this season, <laughs> Graham Ruffin. Hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yeah. A, a, a low bar, shall we say, for Frank Lampard, who has now <laughs> lost his last 10 Premier League matches as manager of both Everton and... And Chelsea, I believe you have to go back to 1988 to find a top flight manager with a record that bad. It's not going well for Chelsea or Frank. Oh, dear. Maybe he'll join TSS when Taylor gets suspended. Maybe that's his next career move. What do we think? Don't go to Saudi Taylor. Do we have to? Do we have to have Frank (laughs) Lampard on the show? Please no. The uh, the phrase uh, or the uh, the adjoining clause, no but seriously, would be used a lot more (laughs) on this podcast for sure. That would be good. His his fun press conference tick. Uh, Joining us, Graham, a man who gets his inspiration from, of course, Cosmopolitan magazine, Joe Lowry. Hello. (laughs) Somebody watched the Patreon. I was wondering (laughs) if that was going to pop up at any point or not. Um, I was just going to sort of let it slide and see if it ever got discussed. That was fun. I enjoyed it. And I honestly don't remember what I said, but if you had beef with it, then... You're you're pro- you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, I enjoyed it too, Joe. I enjoyed your thinking outside the box. Would you like to tell the boys and girls what you did? Yeah, so I did on on Patreon. Hey, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, TSS Plus, baby. It's all the good stuff over there. I sat down and did a, you know, at the, at the end of high school in your, in your yearbook, you've got the, you know, most likely to dot, 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 most likely to succeed, most likely to whatever. I went through and, and did a bunch of those questions, but for the four of us, so I think I did one along the lines of who's most likely to become a millionaire. I think I said Graham in that regard. Ryan, I was tempted to pick you, um, but I mentioned this on the episode. I, th- I mean, I just think your fast cash dining habits cut down yeah. on, on potential income a little bit too much. Like you could be earning some real return but- on that on that money. And Ryan you are, right? Chipotle ch- chicken crispers are returned, but not exactly sort of <laughs> two, what I was Two for $22. Right. Uh, it's a good Joe. deal, it's, good it's, a, it's a great it's deal. It's a good deal. Ryan sort of got that tech billionaire sheen, I think, with the Lululemon and, and socks with no, no uh, or sh- excuse me, shoes with, with no socks. I've seen yeah. Ryan rock that look a couple of times. Yeah. I'm I was tempted, that's, well. that's why I was so tempted to, to pick Ryan, but I was like, no, Graham, and I don't know how much people know this. We, we kind of joke about the fantasy monster himself. Graham does make real legitimate moves, and uh, 
I think he is he is my answer. So I, I went through a bunch of those. Most interesting person. There was something about Taylor that I said because Taylor is the most interesting man in the world. Maybe fake his own death. I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Well, um, if he goes to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> if so. I won't even have to fake it. No faking. <laughs> that's the no, hack that's right there, Taylor. That's the hack. So it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, this is, that's this what is they spiraled, do. Yeah, this is spiraled out of control. Of words, Joe. <laughs> oh, it's got even darker. <laughs> I don't want to do oh, this it's anymore. Funny they're terrible. I don't yeah, anyway. want to do it anymore. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> All right. Well, it was a fun Patreon, Joe. Thank you very much. <laughs> patreoncom slash show If you'd like more hijinks like that, we also had a long discussion about uh, me seeing a Star War. Um, I haven't seen the third part yet. I will do so post haste, Taylor. If we were going with superlatives for most likely to just have like an assumed identity, Joe is that person. Because I do feel like Joe has so much life experience, so much life knowledge, that if it suddenly came out like he just jumped careers and was a 45-year-old engineer living in, I don't know, Costa Mesa, a different area, Joe, I I feel like that would also be fitting. I I could see Joe sort of uh, living under assumed identity out of nowhere. Uh, Actually, Ryan might be doing that right now in Italy. Graham could do that. Really, all three of you could do it. I don't know anymore. Yeah, that that background behind Ryan is not filling anyone. It's a little suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. You've been in Qatar the whole time, even before the World Cup. It's very clear. You're in a storage (laughs) container. He's living in Raleigh. He just can't claim it. He inherited Infantino's house. (laughs) <laughs> Enough about me and my so-called personalities, which I may or may not be hiding. Let's move on to listen to questions, shall we? Actually, we've got something that's quite related to Patreon here from Joey Jadlowski, who says, quite simply, how do I Discord? During the World Cup, I enjoyed Discord, but then there was a ton of channels, a ton of notifications. I became disengaged, never really used Discord before, but I feel like I'm missing out. How do I go about making the most of Discord Feeling uh, overwhelmed by all the threads. Of course, we have a Discord, which you get access to uh, if you subscribe to the Patreon. It is a lot of fun. All four of us digging in there and having some fun in there as well. I mean, in terms of getting into Discord, Graham, you've got two choices. Leave it well alone or get involved. And I mean, there's there's arguments for both, certainly to get involved in the TSS Discord. But I'm a member of several other Discords. I feel like I'm saying the word Discord. Far too much. But um, there's a lot of crypto and degens and that kind of stuff on there, but also a lot of good stuff too. I, I like it. It's a, it's a not an, fun Not time. on our Discord, I don't think. I haven't seen no, any no, crypto no, no, chat. No. Or, or have I been blocked from that channel? That's your tech billionaire channel, Ryan, there yeah. that you're, mm. you're revealing. One of my um, aliases may have been on some crypto channels, Graham, yes. Yeah, so I can totally appreciate that the TSS Discord might be... Uh, a bit overwhelming, um, but once you get to grips with it, the way it's now organized, I find anyway, makes it a lot easier to find stuff that you're interested in. Yeah, so agreed. it's probably true that there is too much in there to engage with everything. I would probably recommend turning off notifications because your phone battery will not last more than an hour. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's um, what I do is I have kind of core channels that I engage with. And and I think it's also good for second second screening, excuse me, when there's a game on. So last night was Arsenal-Chelsea. So I knew there would be chat in the Premier League channel. And I'm actually starting to use that more and more over Twitter for that sort of chat because obviously it's very targeted you know if you go into a certain channel at a certain time there's going to be chat about that when Napoli we're going to win the Scudetto at the weekend I was in the Serie A channel so even if you just want to engage with stuff um that you're interested with if you only want to engage with stuff that we're talking about on the show there's a, a podcast chat channel as well that would satisfy that I find the discord really funny and it's great to chat in there and I'm I'm like really glad it exists now I kind of can't imagine the show without it and um, because it informs a lot of my own opinions and I learn stuff from it as well so I think it's basically about finding the stuff you're interested in yeah and don't feel like you need to keep up with everything because that probably isn't possible yeah i i go through graham i do basically the same thing there's like five channels and other than that when i mentioned i'll go and check out what's going on there maybe six but i'll go to the podcast chat channel because sometimes i'm getting roasted for a take or um getting encouraged for a take and you all are getting roasted so either way it's kind of a win uh i'll go to the u.s men's and women's national team channels mls nwsl and then out of context tss has, has quickly become my favorite oh, yeah, channel great. in there so <laughs> I, I i would say you know realistically Graham, you enjoy different parts of soccer than I do. Taylor, you enjoy different parts of soccer than Graham does. Ryan, I mean, you get the idea. I wouldn't say that you need to be in there digging into every single channel and every single thread. More pick and choose and, and I guess sort of get okay with not seeing every single message. That's sort of the process that I've undergone, and I've enjoyed it a lot. 
It is a lot of fun indeed. But Taylor, you you will know if you leave it on on your desktop, you'll all day you'll be hearing boop, yep. boop, boop, yep. as new posts come in, and you won't know what it is until you figure it out. Which That's was intimidating. I, I share Joey's uh, concern and confusion at times, and I think it took the three of you all convincing me that Discord was a useful thing when we were in New York, and now I really love the Discord. But I do find it to be slightly overwhelming at times because there is a feeling of like obligation. Am I supposed to be responding to everything? Am I supposed to be involved in everything? Uh, and the answer is no. People don't need you involved. People are having their own conversations and doing their own thing. And that's kind of what I like about it is being able yeah. to jump into conversations or just sit back and observe other people debating things that are interesting and bring a lot of care and concern and enthusiasm to those conversations. So for me, it's yep. it's a nice sort of, again, replacement for Twitter where you can see people kind of having back and forth in an informed but polite and usually accepting way yeah totally agree on it becoming its own sort of thing at the start i also felt that obligation taylor where i felt like i had to get involved in everything but it's its own ecosystem now it's its own tss ecosystem i would advise turning off the the desktop notification noises yeah. though you absolute lunatics if you've kept that on this long. <laughs> oh, I had to, yeah, I figured out how to do that a, a while ago. But it was, I, I was, there was a day where I was like, what is going on? Is that my phone? I couldn't figure it out for a long time. But uh, yeah, do join the TSS Discord uh, via Patreon. Uh, Discord, a lot of fun, not just uh, aggressive incels in their mum's basements. There's a lot of fun on there to be had as well, I would say. Joey, thank you very much for that question. We go from Joey to Joe. Sure, real original on the names so far. Joe says the United States, Mexico and Canada have all fired their head coaches ahead of hosting the World Cup in 2026. Checks notes. This is just a, uh, in theory, not a real situation. Uh, they need a new, they need to hire a new manager each respectively before the end of 2023 to have enough time for building ahead of the next World Cup cycle. However, the coaching pool they can pick from is only former MLS managers who are not currently employed in April 2023. Some examples that Joe gives, Jesse Marsh or Thierry Henry, for example. So using this relatively narrow pool, who would be the US, Mexico and Canada hires and why? Now, Joseph Lowry, uh, one question from one Joe to another here. I believe you've made the case that Jesse Marsh is not the right man for at least one of these jobs mm -hmm. very recently on the backfield. I have, yeah. So I, I went through and I'll, I'll be doing a series of looking at different perspective managers for the U.S. There haven't been a ton of folks that have been linked, but Marsh is, is an obvious one to connect. Henri is another obvious one. Patrick Vieira, there are others yeah. as well. I'm going to go through and do a series of, of sort of imagining what life would be like for the U.S. underneath these managers. And, and what I got to with Marsh is not sure it would be all that pretty. I think there are some things that would, he would do very, very well. I like Jesse Marsh as a coach, to be clear. I, I think he's an incredibly engaging person and personality. And I really appreciate that he has tactical convictions but for the U.S., I'm not sure that being this ultra-aggressive, high-pressing team that's incredibly vertical and, and even one-dimensional in the attack is necessarily the right, right way to go. Uh, I, I think when you have a chance to put Serginho Dest in 1v1 situations against elite players, you try to limit that as much as possible. And Jesse Marsh's style, Taylor's raising his hand very politely, politely uh, I think Jesse Marsh's style doesn't really do that very well i have a question about that i think i think i've heard you say this before joe we've talked about it on the show before and and i i think i just i think i agree rather Ooh, that was uh that was about to be a cliffhanger um <laughs> but my question for you when you talk about why it wouldn't work my assumption is basically that to play the attacking style he wants with the aggressive pressing i think people see that as like oh you need physical fitness you need a lot of effort and endurance and the u.s is always such a great like try hard team it seems like a, a perfect sure. blend. But would the idea be that some of that is dependent on very good attacking play, very quick decision-making, very technical attacking play on top of that to be able to move the ball quickly and find those those spaces and those gaps? And would the, yeah. the downfall be that maybe we don't have the players who can execute the attacking side, similar to, say, Leeds? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's one piece of it. For me, there's like a lot of different reasons why it's not optimal. So the attacking stuff is part of it. You know, the U.S. still doesn't have a proven game-changing attacker at an elite level. And Jesse Marsh talks about quick play, which is, you know, after you win the ball, we're going to be in tight spaces because, you know, all of our players are, are close together in this pressing net. We win the ball and we want to combine and go ping, ping, ping and, and advance quickly 
and score within eight seconds or whatever it is of winning the ball back. I think the U.S. could do that. I'm not sure they could do it at an elite level. At the same time, I don't want to kid ourselves into thinking that the U.S. attacked all that well under Greg Berhalter either, right? So whether it's a transition system or whether it's a possession system, the U.S. is probably not going to be an elite attacking team regardless of who coaches them. But that is, that's a fair part of it. Another part of it, and I didn't even get into this in the piece all that much, is it's hard to coach detailed pressing systems at the international level. There, there's a reason why we don't see a ton of tactically intricate ideas at World Cups and at Euros and Gold Cups and Nations League. It's because you just don't have a lot of time. And Marsha's system is pretty intricate, and we haven't seen him really be willing to bend Another aspect is, and I know this isn't what, what Joe asked about. Also, I love loving all the Joes, Ryan. Thank you for calling that out earlier. It's good stuff. Uh, I think under Greg Berhalter, a real theme for the U.S. was control. They controlled the game. I talked about how the possession wasn't always fruitful. Like, it didn't always lead to a lot of really good attacking chances. But, you know, at least they had the ball, right? And they had the ball usually pretty high up the field. And if you have the ball away from your own goal, the chances of the other team going and scoring, as, as ridiculously simple as this sounds, are pretty low, Jesse Marsh gives the other team the ball inherently and relies on his player's ability to win 1v1 battles in a lot of different places around the field. I'm not sure the U.S. has the talent level that like really says they can go out there and win a lot of those track meets or win a lot of those individual moments. The midfield, I think, could do a really good job. But Dest, but you know, whoever's partnering Miles Robinson in the back line, Pulisic, Gio Reyna, like, can those players actually go out and do the job? I'm a bit skeptical. So anyway, I wrote about that in more detail, Ryan. You teed it up, teed it up well. He is not my pick for the U.S. in this question. <laughs> I have Thierry Henry is my is my choice for the U.S. I don't think this is maybe like a great idea, but I do really like this idea, and I like it for pretty much just one reason: Florin Balogun. Uh, they've they know each other, <laughs> like they've talked before. Taylor's shaking his head. Taylor hates Florin Balogun <laughs> so much. Uh, he's he's talked with Balogun before. Balogun like knows Henri is copying his celebrations. You can't tell me that the U.S.'s odds of getting Balogun don't skyrocket with Thierry Henry in charge of the team relative to any other potential manager. For me, that that would be fascinating. If it doesn't work, Balogun's a U.S. player. Thierry Henry is fired before the Copa America, and you can get in somebody else. Like I, I just love this idea. I want it to happen so bad. I gave Canada Jesse Marsh. Again, Sorry, I like Jesse I, I Marsh. I to say, Florin Balogun is going to be the first player to ever get uh, his, like, like uh, his change of status accepted to switch to the U.S. and then also file a restraining order against Joe Lowry on the same day. It's going Whatever to be a very takes, special Taylor. day. Uh, Joe loves Florin Balogun so much that I love that you've now picked a manager solely around the idea of getting him. And I feel like a little bit of this is that you still want to win the uh, USMNT draft. Uh, and if you don't have him in your team, you're not going to win. That's a, that's already done, Taylor. The die has been cast on that one. We don't need to revisit that situation. Um, Taylor, no, does like, all that happen um, on the same day that he is admitted to hospital being crushed by the weight of expectation that America is putting on him as well? Yeah, I mean, but I, I think of those three, the Joe Lowry one is the one he's probably going to want to get taken care of first. Yeah, Fine. that's the, that's the top of his list. I, I genuinely think, and we can poke fun at all this stuff, I think adding a a really good number nine to this U.S. team will do more for them than adding a, a good manager. Like, I, I think, I, I don't know even how close it is. Adding a, a real goal scorer, if you get a capable manager in it, and there are real questions about whether Henri is a capable manager or not, but getting somebody in who can set up the team in a mostly straightforward way, give them some basic tactical instruction, and then add a, a really good player to the mix in a position of need, I, I'm all about that. So anyway, I've got Henri for the U.S. I've got Jesse Marsh for Canada because he carries on John Herdman's like aggressive, sometimes brash legacy. I don't know if you're going to get the Croatia comments from Jesse Marsh, but you'll get somebody who's like, you know, up tempo and, and wants to be energetic and get you to, to press and, and play direct, all that stuff. And Mexico, I'm giving Patrick Vieira. I, I don't know if this would work, but the list of really good former MLS coaches that are out of work is pretty small. Uh, so Patrick Vieira. I think he's a legend. He commands attention, has some high-level experience, and he sees the game in the way that Mexico fans want to see it, right? They, Mexico just doesn't, doesn't just want to win. They want to win while playing good soccer. Under Tata Martino, they played some good soccer. They didn't really do a lot of winning, and by the end, they weren't doing either one of those things. Maybe Patrick Vieira can rescue them, or maybe we should just give them Dave Sarikin, which is always an option. <laughs> very good, Joe. Uh, very well thought out. Graham, where did you go with this one? So I've gone for chaos with my uh, with my picks. Uh, that's a general theme. So the easiest one for me was the US and putting Tata Martino in charge. Um, I'm actually not against Martino being on the actual short list, short list for the real life job, which I can understand some listeners might not be on board with, uh, given how the, the 2022 World Cup went for him. 
But I do think he's a better manager than he showed with Mexico. He looked comfortable in the American soccer landscape when he was at Atlanta, of course. Um, His style, I went back to his Barcelona days and why he was hired to that job in the first place. And I found some Coach's Voice articles and reminded myself of how his team played around that time and his style is about possession and player rotations and all that stuff or at least it was at that time and I think he could revisit that sort of thing in charge of the US which would be a continuation of sorts of what Berhalter did um, during his time in charge so he has my pick I think he's probably got the most pedigree of anyone on the list given that he's been a Barcelona manager and he's been an international manager at World Cup before um, as well For Mexico, I'm going to throw a grenade into the mix here. Uh, Jesse Marsh for Mexico, uh, former Red Bulls head coach, of of course, out of work, as we're reminded on a regular basis at the moment. From what I've seen of Mexico in recent times, um, the Red Bull style of play might actually be a good fit for them. And I think it's certainly the sort of high-intensity football. I I went and found some articles on this as well and and, um, did did, did some uh, digging into what it was Mexican fans didn't like about Martino's time in charge. And a lot of it was kind of the possession for possession's sake. So they want some intensity, some energy. Marsh would obviously bring that. There was also a video back um, when Marsh was at the Red Bulls where he was talking to an NYCFC player in Spanish during a game. Um, I didn't really know he could speak Spanish. So maybe he'd be able to communicate with his players better than Tata Martino ever did. I think that was a bit of a failing on his part. And then finally for Canada... This was probably the toughest. I thought about put, putting Jesse Marsh in, in the Canadian job, but I'm actually going to go for Thierry Henry. Um, not for any ideological reason, just because Canada only scored twice at the World Cup, which was a real underachievement for a team with their attacking talent. So maybe Henry can man-manage uh, Jonathan David and Kyle Aaron and obviously Alfonso Davis plays in a more advanced position when he plays for a national team. So I'm not sure Henry is much of a tactician, but international soccer is kind of vibesy anyway. Mm-hmm. So... I'm sure it'll be fine. He learned plenty from Roberto Martinez. He's got a uh, Canadian coaching experience, of course, as well. Indeed, he does at Montreal. Indeed. Indeed. Taylor. Uh, I've gone a little bit chaos as well. I've got Tata Martino. I did want to just give him right back to Mexico and see how that played out. But instead, <laughs> I've got Tata Martino with Canada. I've got Patrick Vieira with the US MNT because I wanted to make Joe happy, but then he went and chose Thierry Henry, and now I don't know what to think. I'm uh, down also, for Vieira too, by the way, just to uh, be clear. Continue. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like that that is the case. And then I also feel like US soccer still has a, a little bit of an English orientation. Uh Crocker coming in, uh, emphasizing that a little bit. Uh so Vieira maybe ticks some of those boxes too from his uh Premier League background and then coaching recently with Crystal Palace. Uh, and then the true chaos factor. I believe he's eligible for this. Let's get Greg Berhalter to L3. Let's get Greg Berhalter on down to Mexico. <laughs> I believe he would be eligible, right? Not yeah, currently coaching. Yeah. Former Columbus yeah. manager. Yeah. So Greg Berhalter taking over L3. Tata taking over Canada. Patrick Vieira coming in for the USMNT. Very nice. I didn't hear the words Ray or Hudson anywhere in those answers. Disappointed <laughs> in all of you. But, uh, very good. Uh, he's taking over the TSS hosting gig. Ah, of course, during your suspension and during this hypothetical. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Thank you, Joe Shaw, for that question. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, much more back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. This question comes from Hilary Duff. Hilary Duff asks, who are some players who have nightmares of other particular players? Uh, for example, pretty sure Virginia Desk still has nightmares of Tecatito cooking him. Taylor, my immediate thought went to poor Jerome Boateng being put on yeah. his butt by Lionel Messi as a prime example of this. Uh, yeah, I, I really only had one that came immediately to mind. And I found this to be a really hard question to research because 
really anything you search is going to give you players who didn't like playing other teams or oftentimes players who ruined their own careers. Uh, not, not a ton of answers to this one, but the one that jumped out for me was uh, Nemanja Vidic not enjoying his time against uh, Fernando Torres. That's, yeah. that's the one that I will forever remember as him just getting cooked. And it didn't happen that often. I think Vidic still had a winning record when playing against Torres, but there was just a few different times when he was completely destroyed by Torres and seemed like he just could not handle anything being thrown at him. Um, I think that's because I, I read a quote from Vidic talking about how people think he's very big and very strong, but in actuality, he focused more on speed and athleticism to deal with the variety of defenders. And I think Torres is one who sort of physically outworked him, which wasn't a thing he was necessarily used to. And, and that kind of put him off his game a little bit. So I think when it comes to a player mentally impacting a defender such that they're sort of like recalibrating what they do or pondering if they've even gotten it right to begin with, that feels like they're in their head rent free. So I'd say that's yeah. the, uh, the primary one for me. The match I remember it, it related to that is Liverpool thumped Manchester United at Old Trafford once, maybe four or five one. Yep. And at that time, the man, the manager Vidic was the best central defender, maybe not just in the Premier League, but in the world. And Torres, it was a bloodbath. Torres mm -hmm. just completely destroyed him. It, it was like, you know, peak Virgil van Dijk from three seasons ago. Do you remember there was that statistic about Virgil van Dijk not being dribbled past for something ridiculous like three seasons? Imagine that, but and then in, in one match, him getting dribbled past like 10 times in the space of 90 minutes. That's essentially what Fernando Torres did in that match. So he was, that was, yeah. uh, those two players were on my list as well. Graham, that was uh, the final lesson for me in why you don't text your friends in the middle of a game. Because I believe in that same game, Manchester United scored first. And I sent all my Liverpool friends like, like you know, teasing texts about like, ah, here we go. A win is a win. And then, uh, yeah, I think it was five to one in the end and pretty ugly. So I learned my lesson a couple different ways and maybe uh, Vidic did as well. Good stuff. Graham, who else makes your list? I'd imagine Alfie Harlan probably has the odd pillow thought <laughs> about Roy Keane, for example. Well, that's a, that's a very uh, literal definition of destroying a player, I guess, uh, yeah. what Roy Keane did to uh, Erling Haaland's dad. Erling Haaland, by the way, is just a, a, a walking, talking revenge mission against Manchester United mm. and Roy Keane. That's what's going on there. I had uh, Boateng on my list as well. Obviously, the, the one where Messi just snaps his ankles and drops him to the floor for Barcelona against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. I think that's one of Messi's most memorable goals and it is memorable because of the way that Boateng just crumbles. And he was one of the best defenders in the world at the time. Um, on the other side of the coin, so obviously, naturally, you think of attacking players destroying defensive players. On the flip side of that, a defender who always had a good game against a world-class world attacker was Aaron Wan-Bissaka against Raheem Sterling. I think I'm right in saying that Sterling never scored against United in a Manchester derby when Wan-Bissaka was involved. And Sterling was just never able to get past him. And obviously, Wan-Bissaka is so good at one-on-one -on -one defending. And, and I remember a number of matches against Man City where he just completely shut Raheem Sterling down. And at that time, Raheem Sterling was a key player for the best team in the league. So it was, it was surprising that he was never really able to get the better of uh, Wan-Bissaka. All right. Joe, how about you? I, I presume there is a whole host of league out defenders who have terrible nights thinking about Kylian Mbappe and what he did to them. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. I didn't have just Liga against Kylian Mbappe on my list. I did have a couple of more general ones, though. A lot of the, the best player ones, I think, are already off the board. I had trouble with, with thinking of a ton of, of, of them, sort of like Taylor said. One option, and, and Hillary mentions uh, Serginho Dest against Tecatito, which got me thinking about USA-Mexico. And I, I, I don't think this fully counts, but I like the idea of Christian Pulisic against just the, the country of Mexico with the idea of him pulling up the shirt to have the man in the mirror World Cup qualifying. Before that, you have the crazy Nations League game where he's in the corner and, and that's the famous like USMNT picture. There's beer coming down everywhere. I think from that point in time, from those couple of points in time, the trajectories for the US and Mexico have started to um, go in opposite directions. So I don't think that's all the way there, but it's close. My, my best answer though, and, and this is again, not with specific players, while well, it is one player. It's all of the 2007 Hitafe team having nightmares of Leo Messi. I don't know if you all remember this goal. I, in my head, oh, yes. this goal, like, okay, thank you, Graham. This goal is, like, etched in my memory. 
it's also etched in there because Barcelona's YouTube page has a Messi goal versus Hatafe parentheses 2007 close parentheses one hour loop exclamation point in all caps video. It is Messi getting on the ball on the right wing, beating a defender, beating another defender, driving forward towards the back line, splitting two center backs, rounding the keeper, and finishing at the near post. It is maybe the greatest individual goal of all time. Like I said, it is etched in stone in my memory. Like I, I didn't watch that goal live when it happened, but that was one of the, the moments in me getting into soccer that is like, this sport is crazy. Like people that, can do in, insane monster truck rally style stuff with the ball, and that person can also be five foot three or whatever Messi is. Unreal. That's the Maradona goal, right? That's the one that is eerily similar to the one the the, the Maradona goal against England. Where as far as I'm aware, the yeah. right at the end. Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't. It, the, the problem is it doesn't have the same like heart wrenching effect on Ryan as that goal did. But mm. um, you know, it's close, that, I guess. That always makes goals better. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's better because he's sitting in his uh, England goalkeeping shirt today as well. That I, I am halfway through. I'm wearing the Rob Green 2010 special today. Actually, um, is that his? Is that his actual shirt from the opening game of the 2010 World Cup? He just gave that away. He, when, he didn't want that in the house. When yeah. Ryan drops coffee all over his laptop, we'll know what did it. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of Green. Ah, oh, indeed. Taylor's actually wearing a rather fetching of the same color and same umbro make a Cosmo shirt, which looks like it's cut from the same cloth. Taylor, very nice. Uh, it's cut from the cloth of when they were vying to be the other New York MLS team that did not go well for them. Uh, not quite at all. Indeed. Uh, one other nightmare scenario I will mention, and it's one I saw live in person. Um, I was at the game where Gareth Bale gave Mycon quite an evening, the taxi for Mycon oh, night yeah. in the Champions League, oh, where he yeah. just he skinned him every couple of minutes. Uh, that was very memorable and never seen one player be so devastated by another on the field in person, for sure. In, in a similar vein, is it Mark Bartra that gets left in Gareth Bale's dust in the Copa del Rey Oh, final? yes. Yes, it is. I imagine. I imagine. And the funny thing about Mark Bartra, at that time, he was a very promising young defender. After that, I feel like his career sort of flatlined and he he wasn't the player that everyone thought he was going to be. Yeah, maybe he hates Gareth Bale. Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> uh, future Wrexham player Gareth Bale, we shall see. Uh, thank you very much, Hilary Duff, for that question. Let's go to Kenneth Sidon. Speaking of uh, Wrexham, now that they'll be in the same division as ASU Wimbledon, how does Ryan view Wrexham? How about the rest of the UK? What chances do you give them of competing in League 2? And I'll say first and foremost, I think we've said this before, maybe on the Patreon, maybe on here, but I like what they're doing. Um, Hollywood folk pumping money into a small community club is better than nation states or shady businessmen, in my view. I think I like what they're doing for the community. I like that they're creating a good story. And, you know, they are rising the tide of soccer in the US in a way by putting it in the headlines a little bit more. It's not American soccer, but it's still soccer all the same. So there's, there's there's some value there as well um i think obviously there is some controversy about what they're doing in the fact that they are spending considerably more than their conference um uh pals uh, they're spending considerably more than most teams in league two they're spending considerably more than most teams in league one as well above them uh, and the kind of players they've been purchasing like they bought the, the one that i go back to is they bought afc Wimbledon's ollie palmer when we were in league one two tiers above them uh, we were relegated because we didn't have our goal scorer anymore they paid uh four hundred and sixty thousand dollars for him three hundred seventy five thousand pounds which is way beyond what is usually spent Wait, they paid a fee for him yeah well, i mean i guess they must have if they, they got him at his contract wow that is that that's quite a that's quite a chunk though isn't it it's massive that's massive. It's absolutely massive, particularly for a, for a team, a non-league team, a team playing in non-league. That is an exceptional amount. They're paying three to four times the amount of wages uh, for players of their level and taking them from higher divisions as well. So there's controversy about that, but it's because they've got some, you know, they've got the, the means to do so and they are climbing. I don't know how the rest of the UK views them, Graham. Perhaps you can give some perspective of them. But in terms of the part of the question about what chances you give them competing, I feel like they're going to hit a ceiling maybe top of League One getting into the championship. The championship is really hard, basically. Uh, I think they'll go through to League One with relative yeah. ease. If I, I think they could cut through League Two quite easily with the level they're at. But there's going to be a ceiling of sorts in the championship. That's my prediction. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know more about this subject matter than I do, given that your team is is in this in this world in the EFL. But I would agree, it feels like you can get to the top of League One 
um, with the resources that they have. Obviously, Stockport County have come up from, we spoke about them last week. They, they've come up from the National League. They're now in the promotion places in League Two. Good bet they'll be in League One next season. It feels like Wrexham could do something similar. In the Championship, what you have is this weird split in the Championship between the haves and the haves not. And the halves are the teams that still have these giant parachute payments from the Premier League. And so that could be a big obstacle that they run into, that Wrexham run into. If they do get up into the championship, getting into the top half of the table when you've got Burnley and Norwich and Sheffield United and parachute payments last for three seasons as well. And and they're very lucrative. So actually their resources might not measure up that well to some of the championship clubs who are big clubs in their own right. In terms of how the rest of the UK views Wrexham, um, maybe this is just my friends, but I think we're all quite sceptical. I also think there's a lot of jealousy among Scottish football fans in particular, because even though they're in the EFL, Wrexham are obviously a Welsh club. And so Scottish football fans look at a Welsh club where in Wales, for anyone who doesn't know, like football isn't the number one sport rugby is the number one sport and so there is a there's a there's a jealousy there i mean wales is just sheep you know right. come to scotland right. and put your money into come right. put, put Graham, your money into one of our clubs how dare you insult another country in the united kingdom on this podcast we <laughs> yeah. won't stand for that Which means, i'll do that about wales happily <laughs> I, I love that i love that graham was like i think there might be jealousy as though ryan hadn't clearly illustrated that there is jealousy with the amount of money that Wrexham were able to spend versus say wimbledon uh i think it is worth noting because we get this question from time to time and i and i know that graham is going to uh indulge in the wales in the Wales sliding, that Wrexham, as the what world's third oldest professional club, predate the founding of, if not the FA, then certainly the leagues, which is why they play in the English system, uh, because they predate the formation of the English system. So I think that's the case with Swansea and Cardiff as well. So they are so old, they don't even need your structures, Graham. How about that? Sure. Still a <laughs> <laughs> Have you not seen the English game? They're all Scottish in that in that Taylor. You know, Scotland formed their own leagues, whereas Wales, you know, Cardiff, Newport, Swansea, Wrexham, all got to join the English. It, years. it always reminds me. For some reason, that reminds me of uh, the Anfield rap, where they're talking about how like crazy and far flung their squad is because they've got three Scots in it. It's just like, mm. yeah, that's that's an international team right there, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, uh, t- Taylor or Joe, any thoughts on how far uh, Wrexham will climb? What I what I do wonder is, I've, always, I've in the back of my head, I thought this is a, a project for McElhenney and, and Reynolds that they'll maybe try and sell down the line. We know yeah. Reynolds has a history of selling things it's really, really hard to sell a lower division team, particularly for profit as well. So there'll be a point where, say, if they hit the bottom of the championship, they're going to be spending a lot more than they're making. It's going to be, unless they make this a real brand, which is quite possible, it's going to be really hard to sell this club at the end. I think they are doing that. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, maybe so. my my guess would be surely Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney don't have enough money to sustain a Premier League club, right? Like, I, no. I, I guess I'm not no. familiar with how much cash they've got in their bank accounts, but like that is that's a different world in terms of revenue, and, and well, these I mean, people are making their money not from TV, not even from movies or gin. Like they're making real, real money. Graham, go ahead. I think, I think Reynolds got four hundred million dollars from that Mint Mobile deal, so. That's it's not a, nothing. It, I'm not saying it's... I mean, you can buy a lot of sheep for that, Graham. As, as I'm sure yeah. he knows very, very well. The sheep <laughs> to dollar conversion 14th is, of Manchester United. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? So <laughs> you guys are talking about a ceiling, and we've talked about this before. They will hit the ceiling. I do not think that ceiling is League 2. I don't probably think that ceiling is League 1 either. But you, you climb much higher than that, and I do expect Wrexham to climb. Maybe they won't get promoted again next season, but they'll... I would expect to be very close to the top of League 2. Maybe it takes them four years to get up, you know, towards the top of League One or whatever it is. But like they will climb, and I think with the investment they have right now, they will have enough to get that job done. But yeah, after that, I think it starts to get a little bit dicey. And that, for me, is when this is going to have a lot of real intrigue surrounding, okay, do they sell? Do they not sell? Do they? You know, basically, the questions, Ryan, that you just posed, yeah. we don't have the answers to those yet, but it will be interesting to see. So uh, a quick check of the Google informs me that uh, Newcastle have the the richest ownership group. The Saudi Public Investment Fund has three hundred and twenty billion pounds. Uh, the poorest quote unquote owner in the Premier League would be Brentford's Matthew Benham. Uh, his net worth is around three million. Uh, so 
there is an opportunity, I think, if you want to kind of stick with it. But I think that requires innovative thinking. Brentford getting rid of their academy and going with a, we'll take all of your academy rejects and put them into our reserve team and see what happens. And then a lot of consistency along the way. Uh, the 19th uh, poorest club would be Leeds. Andrea uh, Radrizani. Uh, has three hundred and forty-four million uh, pounds in his but net worth. So, so exactly. So, it's a possibility. I think what you all have already said is is the key thing for me. I just still don't know what this is meant to be. Is this meant to be a like fun side pro- project where they they have a TV show and they do some stuff together, and then maybe other stuff comes along, or are they in it for the long haul? Do they want to build it up? I see those like TIFO videos about when will Wrexham make the Premier League? Will they make the Premier League? And that just feels very, very premature, because I think we still don't know how much time they're going to want to spend slogging it out in League 2, League 1, and the championship. Mm. I think of the Sunderland Till I Die documentary and just how much those owners thought, we're going right back up, this is all going to be great, and then the opposite of that is the case. And I just don't know if if that's a thing that they're going to want to do, is stick around as they finish 12th, and then 10th, and then 11th, and then 8th. Like, is that going to sustain them, or are they in it for the sort of big swings, the big ups and downs? Yeah. I think a lot of how it plays out over the next maybe season or two will tell us what happens going forward. I think some of the difficulty is actually going to be tied to the TV show, and we are going to learn more about what their real priority is, the team on the pitch or the TV show, because... Part of the genius of Welcome to Wrexham is these players that they've signed, or a good number of the players that they've signed, are characters as well. So Paul Mullen is an interesting guy. Ollie Palmer is an interesting guy. It's been a while since I watched it, but there's a couple other players as well that are clearly partly there because they'll be good on TV. Ben Foster, I have to imagine he's been signed in part because he'll be good in that TV series. But as you go up those divisions, and if you're going to do it quickly, you're going to need to rebuild that team season on season are they willing to ditch Paul Mullen once they get to championship level, which might be his ceiling, he might not be good enough for the second tier? Will they ditch him when he is such a key part of that TV show? That's going to be interesting for me, how they rebuild and evolve that team season on season. It will be interesting indeed. Who knows? Maybe Wrexham gets cancelled after a few seasons. You never know how these things work in Hollywood. Kenny, thank you very much for the question. Uh, A couple other Wrexham questions have come in, actually. Jacob Court asked, as a part owner of a League Two team, will Ryan get to meet the part owners of uh, newly promoted clubs next season? If so, can he interview them for the show? Uh, the answer <laughs> like they is turn up to they turn up to Wimbledon and there's thousands of fans yeah. as the the co-owners of Wimbledon waiting to shake their hands. Correct. The answer is yes. We uh, all eight thousand of us get to meet the uh, owners <laughs> of the other clubs. So we'll, he, they'll do a procession. Uh, we'll all line up and we'll all meet them. We will get interview time with them as well. So don't worry about that, Jacob. That's all coming down the line. I will say there was a recent game I I, I went to and uh, all the cast of Ted Lasso were there. And they were sitting not that far from us. And, but they went in the bar where I was as well. And I missed them by like two minutes. That was really annoyed because I'd like to have seen it. Phil Dunster, who plays um, um, uh, Mancunian striker. I've forgotten his name in the show. Um, he's a Wimbledon fan. Jamie Tart. Jamie Tart, thank you. Yeah, he's a Wimbledon fan. And uh, they've got a bunch of ties to Wimbledon, do the Ted Lasso crew as well. So, um, Taylor. I, I have one small uh, nit to pick when it yeah, comes it's... to Ted Lasso of late. Uh, for people, it's not really a spoiler, but Roy Kent, are they trying to make him look as unathletic as possible? Because there's that the episode in Amsterdam where he's running. There's been a lot of him running lately. He looks like a man who is sort of uncertain how to run. And the idea that he is an ex-Premier League footballer just continues to be a problem for me. I, I like watch it again and notice when he's running how he I don't know if it's just because he's sore or. I don't know what it is if he's playing up the I'm old. They do that in the first season when he headbutts somebody and says he doesn't see well at night. And I think he's supposed to be like 33 years old at that point. Calm it down, (laughs) Ted Lasso. Calm it down. So I don't know if he's supposed to be 33 going on 60 or whatever it is. But it's it's become a thing that I can't not pay attention to. I'll I'll say so. The second mention of the English game on Netflix of this episode. But we we criticize the the standard of play in that show. It is similar in Ted Lasso. I watched the Ted Lasso um, run of play and think, my rec team is better and faster than this. And uh, yeah. so I wouldn't, I don't think it's about that necessarily, I suppose. But they, they never score a tap in either. Every goal is like some a spectacular banger. overhead <laughs> kick volley from 50 yards out. Indeed. Ted Lasso is, is proof that analytics is fake. I think that's what we're learning here. Yeah. That's, that's what we've learned. <laughs> I wonder what is the most 
accurately like non-documentary football movie. Like where you they it does seem like they went for people who can actually play. Like Mean Machine oh, has some answer. people in it. The answer is When Saturday Comes, starring Sean Bean as a Sheffield United striker. Can he Look play? It up if you does, seen does he die in some sort of hail of gunfire halfway through, as Sean Bean always does? He's not beheaded, as okay. he has in, as in, in, in other shows, but he has a he actually has a Sheffield United tattoo, which they have to cover up for filming quite a lot of things. Fun fact for you, Sean Bean. Um, but that's quite, that I seem to remember. Okay. It's very cheesy in nineties. When Saturday comes, it's called. It's about Sheffield United. Anyway, who will be back in the Premier League? Hurrah! Uh, thank you, Jake, for that one. One more Wrexham-related question from R. McElhenney. All the stars coming out for listener questions today. How would Paul Mullen do in Major League Soccer? I know MLS is a step up from the National League, but could he make an impact at an MLS team? Ooh, Joe, what do we think about this? Mullen, 38 goals this season from 46 games in the National League. Very much a lower league journeyman. The Names like Morecambe and Swindon and Tranmere and other places you will never go to on his resume. What do we think, Joe? Could he, could he make the step up? I'm inclined to say... Yeah, I, I think the answer is almost certainly no. It's not that, you know, it's impossible. There have been at least one that I could find former League One player come to MLS and do very well, and that's Bradley Wright Phillips, who was a League One player for multiple different teams, comes to the Red Bulls and is, is sort of a, an MLS legend at this point. He's a very, very good player. But for every Bradley Wright Phillips, there's like a hundred of, of players that are coming over from England or from other lower leagues around the world and, and don't succeed, right? So according to this, Ryan O'Hanlon had a really good piece for ESPN about Wrexham and sort of their level and, and how they compare to sort of teams around the world. And he cited this stat from 21st Group, which is a, a sports consultancy. They have their team rankings for, for teams across the world. Wrexham uh, was rated at that time, this was maybe a month ago, as 1,265 in the world. They were the 1,265th best soccer team in the entire world. Uh, MLS teams rated higher than that. You can go and look at Opta's team rankings, and you know, globally, there are some teams in MLS that are in the top 300 of the world. There are not teams in the National League or League One that are in that same spot. So I, I don't think he would do very well, but maybe at 28, he's just hitting his stride, and there's time, and we'll see him in the championship in a year or two, and he'll score 20 goals there, and he'll be in the Premier League, and I'll look like a fool. Joe, what was that, that website again where you can find all the rankings? Uh, so Opta has a rankings list, and that was the one that I was just on. The one I referenced from that ESPN piece is 21st Group. I don't know if those are publicly available or not. So the the, the Opta one is because I'm in it right now. I did not know this existed, and I have uh, uh, yep, Sterling yep. Albion. Uh, Joe, <laughs> wait, where is Sterling, Graham? 6,460th global rank. Wimbledon, Can you find me the Richmond Kickers? Uh, Wrexham, okay, Wrexham right. by the way, and I didn't look this up, they're 2,000th in the world, 2,083rd, if we're being technical. Okay. Um, and, and we should Wrexham all, I, this is fun, by the way, we should take these with like a half a grain of salt, actually nope. like a, a bucket of salt, Official. because there's not a lot of clarity in terms of like <laughs> what they are, and comparing teams from different leagues is difficult, but like, I don't know, I, I, I saw The Athletic had a piece about this, it, it, it's a bit silly, isn't it, right? I, I think we can all sort of get behind the idea that Wrexham are a good team for their level. They're still going to get better and have to spend more money to get much better than they are. And their players could maybe thrive a level or maybe two levels above like non-league soccer. But there is, there's a cap, just like we talked about with Wrexham advancement in the, in the pyramid over in England. There's a cap for a lot of this stuff. Richmond kickers are 6,197. So only 200 places apparently behind uh, between Sterling Albion and Richmond kickers. Richmond are full-time, right? They're a full-time team. Yeah. Uh, full-time for like seven months out of the year, yes. Right. That makes me question these rankings because you're surely quite a bit higher than my part-time Sterling Albion team of jobbers. <laughs> Very good. All right, uh, let's park that one there, shall we? Thank you, R. McElhenney, for that one. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, a couple more questions, including we're going to select a striker for Man United back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Listener Questions. Bobby Docs Tater has this one. If Manchester United can't land Kane or Osman this summer, do you think a move for someone like Ivan Tony would be a solid alternative? He provides a lot in attack with quality and energy, and I think he would only improve having better players alongside him. Love and appreciate you guys and what you do. Oh, Bobby, Aww. thanks. Um, I'll say, Taylor, to start off with, Ivan Tony, obviously a very appreciated Premier League striker, who has been hit with over 260 alleged breaches of betting rules. Uh, There is a chance he is going to be serving a lengthy ban, a lengthy, lengthy ban at some point in the near future. That's not been established as we record, but I am seeing he's being linked with a number of teams, including Chelsea. Mm. Um, But that one, that that little bit of information would have to have uh, an influence in the decision, Taylor. Absolutely. And I, going back to the preseason, I think my preview uh, of of Ivan Tony and Brentford talked about how basically they were desperate to hold on for him, how they had been receiving offers in the 30 to 40 million range. They were holding out for 50 or above. Uh, and it felt like there was going to be a move for him. Maybe not la- last summer, maybe in January. It did seem like something this summer was much more likely. And now with those that potential suspension with him uh, pleading guilty or accepting multiple charges... I, I think that is why that story has gone quiet. I think there's a lot of unknown, which leads to a lot of possible speculation. And I think rather than go into that, papers are just sort of reporting the facts and staying away from it. But I think with that, clubs are also less inclined to link themselves to Ivan Tony for fear of the public backlash of just sort of disregarding the potential suspension and, and everything kind of connected to it. Uh, so I think that's why there's been a lot of relative quiet about him uh, whereas I think if there weren't this scandal uh, and if he hadn't gotten himself into this situation, I think he would be linked with plenty of clubs in the Premier League and abroad. Yeah, Taylor, I'm curious about your thoughts on that because it is hard to discuss Tony right now because there's just a real lack of clarity mm-hmm. around like everything, I guess. But if if we can set that aside and we can even set like the name Ivan Tony aside, I'm just curious about your impressions of his profile and like you know a player maybe of his level 
who's never played for a club bigger than Brentford. But, man, he's looked good this year. 20 goals, some really good underlying numbers, easily the best season of his career so far. I'm not sure if I was a Manchester United fan that a, a Tony level player, like like basically talking about his club stature in the past, the fact that he hasn't proved it in the Champions League, the fact that he hasn't had to deal with that stuff week in and week out or multiple times a week. I don't yeah. know if he would be my pick over someone like Kane or Osimhen, but he's a good player. Like, how would you feel if someone in that tier of strikers was Manchester United's main target this summer? I think I would like it. I, I think okay. Osimhen is the number one for me, but I think he's the number one for about five other clubs. So who knows what will happen there? But I think that's that's sort of a thing that I would knock Manchester United on in recent history is there's been an inclination to only bring in the quote-unquote finished product for right. the players who are at that certain caliber that extends to the managers as well. And I don't think that has oftentimes worked. Jaden Sancho is a prime example of that. The amount of money they spent on Jaden Sancho, the amount of time he has been given uh, with the club and then away from the club to kind of figure things out, get his head right. Uh, like I think m- mental mental health, mental health awareness is, is incredibly important. So I don't want to go too far down that one, but I I use that as an example of a player who I think had theoretically been at that level and would come in and immediately have an impact and hasn't. And I look at that Liverpool front three for a moment of, of seasons past of Mane, Salah, and Firmino. I mean, Salah was like a Chelsea player who hadn't worked out, who'd gone back to Serie A, and then suddenly he's back in Liverpool. Firmino coming from Hoffenheim, they spend money on him certainly, but he is not this known entity, nor was Sadio Mane at that time. And I think to some extent clubs having to go for that second tier, quote unquote, player sometimes works to their advantage because there's a chip on the shoulder with the player, but it's it's a a player who's then brought in for uh, theoretically less money, who I, I think has a point to prove, but also maybe doesn't have some of that pressure, still the pressure of playing for a big club. But I think Ivan Tony. He's the cat or has been the captain of my fantasy team at various points this season because he scores so regularly and gets himself into those scoring positions so regularly that I think you put him into a team like Manchester United and I think he would continue to be effective in that role and and score some goals if he were eligible for the U.S. I would say put him in the U.S. uh, and see what happens in that number nine spot, too. Taylor, the, the Telegraph have a story today that Minetti do actually have an alternative shortlist. Their, 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 their top picks are Kane and Osman for this summer, but if they can't get hold of those, uh, either of those, the alternative shortlist is Tammy Abraham, Latara Martinez, and Randall Kolomowani. Kolomowani so where, where, and Where does Tony fit into that sort of group? Is he below that? Is he part of that group? Do you pick him over those three alternatives? With, with or without thoughts? the gambling issue and the suspension? Uh, with, let's say without the gambling, he's ahead of all for of argument's those. sake. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Wait, say the, me, say the yeah, list I mean, one more time, Grim. Say the list one more time. Moani, Cola Moani, Tammy Abraham, Lataro Martinez. Okay, well, that's hard. Yeah, I'm glad you asked Taylor, not me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's so night and day. But I, I do think he is the type of player. Again, maybe it's just a fantasy thing, but. I feel like when he plays, he gets into good like good spaces. I think he scores pretty regularly. And he is always a player that when I watch, I think it would be really nice to have him in the team. I don't always think that with, say, Lautaro Martinez. Uh, I don't always think that with Tammy Abraham. Somewhat more so with Colo Moane. So I think he would be number four for me on that list if we're going uh, ranking it that way. But Avantoni, I just think there isn't as big a, of an issue when you're bringing in a a less of a profile player than there is a less of a profile manager with a club like Manchester United. And it kind of relates to the Paul Mullen question. I think a huge part of Paul Mullen's success has been that he look at the way he's brought in the fanfare, the, can we possibly get this player? Who's so good. Uh, that's the one where they're on Twitter and all of Twitter is saying, sign Paul Mullen, sign Paul Mullen. And then they do. And, and I think there's a chance that he would have more success in MLS if he were coming in as this sort of, uh, well-regarded, well-backed figure who the fans get behind really quickly. I think sort of that energy and that support and that enthusiasm for a player can go a long way towards making them feel like, oh, right, I'm I'm a world-class athlete. Even if I'm not, you can have that sort of feeling and that can bleed into your performance. And I think uh, Ivan Tony could, could have the same for a club like Manchester United and could kind of raise his game a bit uh, when surrounded by those big names that maybe he hasn't been surrounded by previously, except for Christian Eriksen, who he has played with, obviously. Indeed. Uh, Joe, any more to add to this question before we uh, jog on? I think Tony's good, but yeah, lots of questions about what his future looks like, which makes it a little hard to say. 
It does indeed. Thank you very much, Bobby, for that one. One final question for this episode from Javier Hernandez. The stars coming to listen to questions today. Ivan Tony should go to Chelsea. Sorry, that just occurred to me. That's the that's where he should go to a chaotic club. You bring in another chaotic player, but is a number nine. You can score goals, so he actually helps them, but also maybe brings more off field distraction as well. That is mm. my answer, Ryan. He wouldn't have to move house. They're basically a few miles away as well. Lots of benefit there. Mm-hmm. Lots of benefit, and adds to the chaos, as you say. Wonderful. Okay, and he is linked with Chelsea, we should say. Hey. Uh, Everyone is. Show me a player that isn't. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Paul Malin, there's one. Javier Hernandez says, what are some of the best or most unique striped jerseys, shirts, or kits? Personally, says Javier, I love the 2006 Chivas Guadalajara. This one feels like a Graham Ruthven question. <laughs> Indeed. So striped kits in general are just great. I like. I, show me a striped kit. Um, and I will be in favour of that kit. I can't really think of a bad one, to be honest. Oh, buddy. But some of my favourite. Oh, buddy, have I got some for you. Crystal Palace. <laughs> oh, really? Crystal Palace isn't bad. It's Is just that the crayon kit. Yeah, but... the crayon kit. Yeah, but then the lines aren't straight. It bothers me. I like that kit. I think I had that as like one of my best in the Premier League this season. Are we talking about specific kits or just general colourways? I thought it was just general colourways. That's what I was going for. Like which clubs have the best striped kits? Grim, yeah, I don't. Take- I don't think any of us maybe went in that level of depth in thinking about the terms of the question <laughs> as far as specifics versus colorways. I think you should just do your thing. Yeah, just say okay, some things right. you like, Graham. Real Betis. <laughs> they have one of my favorite kits uh, with the green and white stripes and black shorts and green socks, and it helps that their recent kits have also been made by Hummel and Kappa. Their colorway is very pleasing to me. I love Inter Milan's black and blue stripes. Yeah. Um, mm. They wore a shirt at the weekend there against Lazio that didn't have a sponsor on it. I'm not sure why it didn't have a sponsor on it, but it was glorious. And it's just such a strong look that reminds me of Brazilian Ronaldo and Javier Zanetti and all those good players. Um, Argentina, I think, have the best colorway in international soccer, or certainly one of them, with the, the light blue and white stripes and then the black shorts. I have, I think, maybe three Argentina shirts from through the years. And then finally, um, maybe a little bit off the beaten track here, but Real Valladolid have a very strong colorway with purple and white stripes. And it's a glorious look, and I don't think any other team has it. And it's very rare that you would go to that sort of level. So they tend to be uh, Segunda Division or lower parts of La Liga. It's rare that you would go to that level of football and find a team that has a, a, a unique look, a very distinctive look. And I think Valladolid have that. And and some of their recent kits, with they've had like gold trim and stuff in their kits. Oh, they've been... They've been fantastic. Oh, and uh, Austin FC. I like their strips as well. Oh, yeah. That's a good. That's uh, some good picks. Graham, uh, some subsequent questions from me. How do you feel about hoops, i.e. horizontal stripes, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Queen's Park Rangers or the Celtic? See, here's the thing. I like hoops, and I obviously would have mentioned a particular team in Glasgow, but stripes and hoops, different things. Well, are they? Well, this is an abstract question. But yeah, in football kit parlance, they are. Hoops are horizontal, stripes are down the way. All right, how about a sash? How about like the Peru or the Tottenham kit with the seatbelt on it a few years back? Is that still yep. a stripe? It's a stripe to me. Uh, no, it's a sash in kit parlance. But I get what you... This is a very abstract discussion. It is a stripe of sorts, but it's a sash. I do like a sash though. Peru, Rio, Rio uh, Valcano as well have a, stri- a, a sash. Very nice. Very nice indeed. Uh, Joe, any any stripes you like yeah can we count Ajax's like big three stripes as an option where it's like white white and red in the middle I like that one a lot I like uh I guess I just like wider stripes I don't know I'm looking at my list and a few of them are in that vein I think about sort of the classic Barcelona jersey with the more maroon and in blue like thicker stripes although we got some different ones in the in the messy name Suarez era that were a little bit thinner and, and I know they've changed it in the past but I like that one as well uh, Argentina, I guess not especially thick, but not also maybe the Newcastle level thin, but Argentina is a classic one on that regard. And then the one that that usually I, I come back to in MLS, I mean, you mentioned Austin, it's LA Galaxy and their yep. jersey. It's the, I don't know, like, I, I, I'm pulling it up right now. Oh, there we go. It's it's like a teal. How would you describe it? It's like teal and black. Yeah. 1997, I have it as black and gray green because teal yeah. is so bright and vibrant. Yeah, it, and this true, is like true. kind of like a dull gray green and then the gold trim on it. Joe, that was on my list, obviously. Yeah, it's so is this, good. Is this it's the so one good. They, they did a version of that yes, recently. Yes. Right. I like it a lot. That one is one of my favorites as well. There's lots of good striped jerseys. Uh, do the wall are all those stripes or hoops? I honestly can't remember at this point. They're they're hoops, hoops aren't they? Hoops, yeah. yeah. So they would be on the list if Graham said hoops were stripes, but he said they aren't, so they're not. Okay. 
Taylor, our I, hoops tribes? Uh, I would say no, they're hoops, but I did have the Waldo one on there if we were allowing that, since we are not. I will not. Uh, I had the Galaxy from 97. I have Newcastle from when they had Newcastle on the shirt, uh, the, the black and white stripes. And I think the inverse of that, anytime a, a club gets tired of being the striped shirt club, as uh, Newcastle and Juve have in recent memory and kind of abandon that, it's iconic for a reason. Don't go away from it. Just stick with what's iconic. Uh, Graham, for the most unique uh, slash most hideous. I'm going with the 1993-1994 Burnley limited edition away wow. kit. I'm going to have to find this. Let me see yeah. if I can like copy and paste this image for you all uh, and send it to you all in the Slack, and then we'll have to post it elsewhere. But here you go. It's the only shirt I've ever seen that looks blurry. <laughs> like it just straight up. I don't know why they did the color scheme the way they did. Oh. They, they did the lines oh. the way they did. It's black. It's white. It's Yellow, it's gray. It the lines are all kind of blurring together. It is weird. It is you not. Know what good. it's like? It's it's like when you go underwater in the swimming pool and you come back up and you haven't wiped your eyes yet yes. and you open your eyes from and you've got water in your eyes. This is Burnley. Shirt. That was yes, Burnley yeah. from nineteen ninety four. JJ Watt, do not bring this back, please. <laughs> well said. So yes, I think that would be an example of a bad and unique one because I've never seen the blurry lines the way they've gone for here. Wowzers, that's a great one to end on, Tay-Tay. We should definitely post that on our uh, socials and uh, elsewhere. Uh, thank you very much for that question, uh, Javier Hernandez. And thank you, everybody who has submitted a question, totalsoccershow.com slash questions, if you'd like to do the same. But for now, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for when I've asked a question, giving your answer to it. Bah. <laughs> because of the sheep no. earlier remember oh. the sheep thing yeah mm, that was yeah. A, like a sheep thing yeah yeah okay. i got there was got a callback but it was also a very unexpected answer to my question thank you very much taylor You're rockwell welcome. thank you sir <laughs> thank you sir bye and gr- <laughs> <laughs> no animal noises graham rutherford what you got for me Moo. there we go we're going around the farmyard thank you very much listener for joining us on this intrepid journey we'll be back on the feed very shortly but for now bye Slash it!